Hello and welcome to Season 4, Episode 2 of Twin, Twin Talk, Talk MN. I'm Ryan. And I'm Andrew. And today, we have a great episode. There is a big trade in the NFL. Watch you know all of the ramifications for all 32 teams around the NFL. Also, the MLB season starts in just under six weeks. We are deeply excited, but there is definitely some news out of spring training. Half the teams in Florida, half the teams in Arizona. It's going to be really exciting, the MLB season, in less than six weeks away. Also, Andrew, one of the best MLB players, got signed to the biggest deal ever. We'll break that down a little bit more later. Also, Andrew, we normally don't talk about this, but the tennis championships, the Australian Open around the world, both crown champion. We'll break that down just a little bit here. But Andrew, let's jump right in with the NBA. There isn't really any huge headlines besides the NBA All-Star starters were announced. Andrew, who are those lucky, lucky people? Well, Ryan, we first have to get to the captains. In the East, it is Kevin Durant, after a season back from a terrible injury, he is playing some of the best basketball in his entire career. And in the West, it's, you know him, you love him. Some people say he's the best of all time. It's LeBron James. So Kevin Durant is definitely an all-star in the East, along with his teammate Kyrie Irving. Bradley Beal is also an all-star. Starter, same with Giannis Antetokounmpo and Joel Embiid. In the West, joining LeBron is Luka Doncic, Stephen Curry, Kawhi Leonard, and Nikola Jokic. Ryan, real fast, can you just tell me if any of these guys don't really deserve to be an All-Star and if someone else should get in? Personally, I don't really understand why Kawhi Leonard was named an All-Star. I can't really think of anyone who's that much better just because the West at the top isn't very good. But, I don't know. I mean, you just gotta think maybe DeMar DeRozan? I really don't know right there. Just, I feel like right now, or maybe even Zion Williamson. But how about Brandon Ingram of the New Orleans Pelicans? He's been playing incredible basketball for a very young player. And personally, I think he's much better than Kawhi Leonard, who's having a terrible season. Just his team is kind of decent, so maybe that's why. Andrew, let's just talk about a little bit about the bench players for each conference. They will be announced later in this week. I'm going to break down the East. You break down the West. In the Eastern Conference, I'm going to look at the guard position. Right now, I think some of the top guards are Fred Van Vliet, Kyle Lowry, and Malcolm Brogdon, all three having dominant seasons. But personally, I have to pick Fred Van Vliet to be the backup point guard. But when I look at the backup shooting guard, it's clearly James Harden. He has been a dominant player the entire season. But when we look at the small forward position, there's definitely some competition. There are three dominant small forwards in the East, and maybe one of them plays shooting guard, move Harden down to point guard. I really don't know. It's going to be close between Jalen Brown having a huge breakout season, Jimmy Butler dominating all season, and also Chris Middleton, who's back at it again, dominant too. Also, there's Zach Levine. So many guys, so much dominance of the game. I just don't know who's going to be it. At the forward position, I think it's pretty much down to two between Pascal Siakam and DeMonte Sabonis. Siakam not doing that amazing, but at the forward and center position in the east, it is a bit thin. And at the center position, they could easily move DeMonte Sabonis up there. But we'll also definitely, definitely have to go with Nikola Vucevic, as he has been dominating for the Magic all year, when he is really their only player who's I have really ever heard of. He is dominating this year, averaging about 25 points per game, 16 rebounds. This guy is phenomenal. Vucevic has to be an all-star. I know I just named a lot of people and didn't really fill you in on anything, and I'm sorry, but there are just so many guys who deserve it so much. Now, Andrew, let's move on to the Western Conference. We well, yeah, Vine. Some of one of the biggest debates over the last couple of days since we heard about the all-star status is should Damian Lillard be an all-star starter? 
And I have to say, at first glance, when you see what he's doing, I believe putting up close to 27 points per game, maybe 8 assists and maybe 4 rebounds, I'd say yes. But then, you have to remember, who would he be replacing? Luka Doncic, Stephen Curry, who are both having career years, even for Curry, who's in very late of his crew, both averaging close to 30 points per game and 7 assists. I'm sorry, but they are both better than Dame. But he is definitely my top bench player off the bench. At the shooting up position, I feel like this is a really hard position to think of, but I have to go with Donovan Mitchell from the Utah Jazz. He's just playing phenomenal, just carrying that Utah Jazz team on his back, who is very well-rounded, but still. To bring your team to the best record in the league, I feel like you have to make the All-Star Game and get national recognition. Now, let's get to the small forward position. There aren't many phenomenal small forwards in the West, but I feel like Brandon Ingram is definitely one of the best guys, as Zion was talking about. Also, Paul George, who has been injured for a lot of this year, could also be a great, great player in that All-Star Game. And, personally, not my favorite player ever, but who is having a really good year is DeMar DeRozan. You just cannot stop watching what he is doing for the San Antonio Spurs with literally no one else. And at the power forward position... This is definitely one of the weakest positions, but I feel like Zion Williamson should definitely be the front runner to grab this position. I have to say, I don't love Zion's game, but just as a second-year player, there's so much hype there. And if not him, I feel like Christian Wood could take over that position from the Houston Rockets and really, really thrive in that position. For the backup center behind Nikola Jokic, I'm not going to lie, this position is very, very weak, but as a Tim Wolves fan, I feel like it has to be Carl Anthony Towns. Many people may not love this, but I feel like if you're not a huge Towns fan since he's only played eight games this year, I feel like you have to go with Rudy Gobert, who's just putting on a show on the defensive end. Those, those are my Western Conference All-Stars. Now, Ryan, let's get to some updates from the last couple weeks. COVID has really started to hit the NBA hard again. If you remember, it went for almost a month of no positive tests, so that was great. But the Hornets had multiple positive tests, and the Spurs had multiple positive tests. Six, and the Hornets had four, and the Pistons had a couple games postponed, but they are back. The Hornets played last night, and the Spurs are still postponed. But Ryan, just real fast, Terry Rozier for the Charlotte Hornets has been on a tear these last couple games, getting 30 points in all of them, and last night hitting a game-winning buzzer beater. After Goran Hayward crowded a jump ball, which forced Draymond Green to start arguing with the referee, which gave him a technical foul, which was his second technical foul, so he was ejected, which means the Hornets gets to free throw, which they used to tie the game, then inbounding the ball to Terry Rozier, who nailed a game-winning shot to push them past the Warriors, who I might add, did not have Stephen Curry, because right before the game, he was not feeling very well. That's a lot of news. Basically, Terry Rozier was phenomenal. And Ryan, sadly, Anthony Davis will be out for the next maybe two to four, maybe even six weeks with, I've heard, a calf strain, which he got after colliding with Nikola Jokic. Luckily, Nikola Jokic is fine. But Davis will definitely miss the All-Star game. That is why Ryan nor me set him on our All-Star rosters. Probably deserves to be one, but since he's injured, probably not. And also... In other shocking news, in my opinion, the Rockets, as you may know, Christian Wood has been injured for about two or three weeks with a small injury. And the backup center, DeMarcus Cousins, has been doing pretty well. But apparently not good enough. 
because in the coming days, they are going to cut DeMarcus Cousins, which means they are, they are no longer going to have him. Personally, I do not understand this move at all. He is one, not the top center, but a pretty good backup center, especially when your team has an injured one. Ryan, real fast, what teams do you think should definitely, definitely go after DeMarcus Cousins? Yeah, this is definitely a tough call, but personally, one team that I really like is the Golden State Warriors. Now, I know what you must be thinking. Uh, Ryan, DeMarcus Cousins is like 35. Why in the world would he go to the Warriors, who last year got the number two pick, worst team in the league this year, third worst team in the league, Ryan? That makes no sense. But their center, does anyone know who it is? Yes, it is rookie James Wiseman. But I still think he needs a little bit more practice, and I think that Cousins would be a great mentor to him. Cousins was actually... The main mentor to Anthony Davis, who obviously, clearly, is one of the best centers in the league, if not the best. And also, with the Warriors, yes, um, the team isn't great right now. But you have to remember, next season, Stephen Curry in the MVP conversation. Clay Thompson, one of the best shooters in the entire league. Andrew Wiggins will have another year under his belt. Kelly Oubre will have another great season next year as he is rising to be one of the brightest young stars in our game. And then after that, Draymond Green off the bench. And you can have Cousins at center. You also got Wiseman off the bench. This team has been looked at terribly for their weak, weak bench. But imagine adding Cousins to that bench. Personally, I feel like this is a no-brainer move. But he was there before. Intentions rose extremely high. So I'm not sure if this will end up continuously happening. But Andrew... Let's just end talking about the NBA with breaking down the Rookie of the Year conversation. Now, obviously, it has mostly been between LaMelo has a great chance to win, Tyrese Halliburton has a small chance to win, and Anthony Edwards has a sliver of a chance. But now, the roles have been reversed a little bit between Anthony Edwards and Tyrese Halliburton. LaMelo Ball definitely had a tough week. I believe they might have only played one game, but he definitely struggled in it. But, Andrew, now that we know that with the Timberwolves, they really need point scores, do you think that Anthony Edwards can play his way into this Rookie of the Year conversation? Ryan, Anthony Edwards definitely has. Over these last couple games, he has been great, putting up basically career games in every single game. And with our new injuries, which we will talk about soon, I feel like Anthony Edwards is definitely going to thrive in this role and take over as maybe not today, maybe not in the coming months, but soon as the leader for the Rookie of the Year conversation. But Ryan, let's get to the NFL. You said there is a huge trade, an amazing player on the move, and that is Carson Wentz is heading to Indianapolis. The Indianapolis Colts have traded a third and a second that could turn into a first-round pick for Carson Wentz. Right now, I'm going to break down both sides and say why this was good or bad for the Eagles. They did get rid of their quarterback, who's probably going to be on the bench this year, but for only a second and third round draft pick, that might not sound amazing. But if you take a second glance, Carson Wentz, if Jalen Hurts plays as well as he did last year, or even a tiny bit worse, he's definitely, Carson Wentz probably wasn't going to play this year. So a second and third seems like pretty good. And with the Eagles, I mean, they're not great drafters, but that could really, really help them in their drafts to have second chances on their second and third round pick. Ryan, do you think this was a good or bad idea for the courts? Um, personally, I think it was a fine idea. When, in my opinion, when you look at what they traded away, I'd say on the courts' side of this, it's fine. 
a second and third round pick is fine to give away for Carson Wentz. Also, you have to remember, these picks are going to be top 10. They probably won't be top 15. You look at this team this year. They had Phillip Rivers, who's terrible in my opinion, not a terrible season. They still made the playoffs. Sure, it wasn't in extended format, but I feel like Wentz is much better than Phillip Rivers, and I feel like their young wide receivers can get one year older and one year better. So personally, I feel like this team, their draft picks won't even be in the top 15. And it's not like the Eagles are great drafters, any anything. They've made two of the dumbest mistakes in the past two years of any team drafting at the wide receiver position, taking Jalen Rager and passing up rookie of the year candidate Justin Jefferson and the year before taking J.J. Artego White and passing up D.K. Metcalf, one of the top wide receivers in the game. This team, don't give them draft picks. They're just going to screw them all up. The Colts, they really need a quarterback out the helm to really steer this team in a good direction. And I feel like they definitely got that here and went. I definitely like this trade for the Colts. And Andrew, obviously, we've broken down this a little bit. But let's just look at two quarterback controversies starting with in the NFC North. Can you just break down the quarterback controversy a little bit for the Bears and Packers? Just a little bit. Well, yeah, man, with the Bears, we all know they have Mitchell Trubisky and Nick Voss. Now, personally, I feel like you should try to keep both as long as possible. We all know the story of both. Nick Foles wasn't very good, takes the Eagles to the Super Bowl, wins it against Tom Brady, then basically just falls off the face of the earth and is not good. Mitchell Trubisky had an amazing first season, terrible next two, then a decently pretty good last year. So really, we don't know what's going on with either of these guys. But in my opinion, Mitchell Trubisky has the higher ceiling, which means that I feel like he could be the better player. So, in my opinion, I feel like you want to try to make sure to keep Trubisky, see if he can become that good guy. Because if he can, he can definitely lead your team. But if he can't, that's why I got Nick Foles as a backup, who I think has a safer floor, which means that I feel like his worst is like a decent, maybe like the 20th best quarterback in the league, which would be pretty bad for their back, which would be pretty good for the backup quarterback. And Ryan, just real quick with the Packers, I think we all know my opinion. You have to keep Aaron Rodgers, the MVP. There's no way you can let him go. Fine, you took Jordan Love. Fine, he may have a good season soon. But in my opinion, that is a hell of a quarterback that you not want to rush in. And if you already have the MVP, don't let him go. Keep him and keep on winning with him. But Ryan, let's get to the MLB. As you said, half the teams are in Florida. Half the teams are in Arizona. Pitchers and catchers have already reported. Ryan, sadly, we have already heard that a couple of pitchers have tested positive for COVID. And that is Shane Bieber and Frankie Montes. Shane Bieber should be, apparently, the team wants him back in the next three or four days. First time I don't understand that, but I just take it as he must be completely asymptomatic and hopefully feeling good, so I hope that is true. Frankie Montes, on the other hand, is experiencing slight symptoms and will most likely return in the next maybe week or two weeks or three weeks. So hopefully both of them are fine. But, Ryan, also some other buzz coming out of training camp. JT Romito, probably the best catcher in the league for the Philadelphia Phillies, has broken his thumb and will most likely be here um, healthy for the regular season, but will miss a significant part of spring training, which may hurt him. Now, Ryan, any other news coming out of training camp? Yeah, 
Andrew, there hasn't really been that much news. I mean, it's just been a couple of days. We'll definitely continue to update on anything we hear out of training camp. But, Andrew, just very, very quickly, let's talk about Fernando Tatis Jr. of the San Diego Padres. Now, if you remember back to the start of the podcast, I believe we said that someone got paid for the longest contract in, in, in sports history. If we remember correctly, last year, last offseason in the MLB, Mike Trout was signed to, I believe it was an 11-year contract. Might have been nine, but it was, I believe that was the longest contract in sports history. But then, Andrew, if you remember this past season in the NFL, Patrick Mahomes was signed to 10-year deal, the longest contract in sports history. But now, Fernando Tatis, no, he didn't just up it by one again. He didn't just up it by two. He didn't just up it by three. Four. Fourteen years! Fourteen years! I will be an adult! I will be two years away from the age that my parents had me. That is crazy! That will be such a long time! I bet you can't even think about what you'll be doing in fourteen years, but Fernando Tatis can. He will be swimming in money! Dominating! Fourteen-year deal! This is nutso! When Fernando Tatis was asked about this, he just said, I'm just paid to play baseball. And I'm going to do the best that I can. Yeah, he will be swimming in cash for the next 14 years. Fernando Tati signs a 14-year deal for hundreds of millions of dollars. This is crazy. Tati's really living up to that one of the best players in our game right now. But, Andrew, let's just break this down for the Padres. Just a little bit. Expectations for this season. Just a little bit. With Tati's. Well, yeah, right? I feel like. This team has to have huge expectations. You probably don't know this, but this deal was for $340 million. So obviously, that's there. Their first baseman, Eric Hosmer, who's kind of lost, but is still being paid upwards of $100 million, which I don't understand, but he is. And the third baseman, Manny Machado, is getting paid north of $250 million. That, those are three huge contracts. Yes, Machado and Tatis will be along, will be around for a very long time, but Hosmer not so much, and some of their pitchers would definitely want to leave soon, I think. So, this season, in my opinion, you have to try to at least make the playoffs. It's going to be very hard, because without the expanded playoff format, the Dodgers are probably going to get the first seed, Padres will probably get the wild card, win it, then have to play the Dodgers. That just seems like... That just seems like so hard. So in my opinion, the most important game for the Padres this year won't be in the playoffs, but they'll be in the regular season trying to beat the Dodgers to force the Padres to win the division so then they can force, so then they can play the Dodgers at home or a different team. But baseball season is still about a month and a half away, so let's move on to some Timberwolves basketball. Ryan, last time we came to you, the Timberwolves actually won a game. We beat the Raptors behind Carl Hintons and Andy Edwards having great games. But since then, we lost to the Lakers. We lost to the Pacers. And we lost to the Raptors. But, Vine, in even worse news, the curse continues. D'Angelo Russell, we, we, last week, I believe we said, eh, it's a short injury. He should be back on Monday to play with Cap. Nope. Right after we record. We heard news that D'Angelo Russell will be out four to six weeks, maybe even eight weeks, with a very, very bad, I believe, foot injury. But we'll see what happens. But just going to towns, D'Angelo Russell cannot play together. But, and some good news, if 
chance for Russell is not on the floor. That still leaves about 20 shots and about 30 minutes up for grabs. Anthony Edwards has really, really taken over the role of our third best player behind Malik Beasley, who I have to say is playing phenomenal. Vine, we all know that D'Angelo Russell and Carnathan Towns are corner pieces for the future, but should Anthony Edwards or Malik Beasley be in that pool as well? Personally, when you look at Malik Beasley, is he the third best player on our team after D'Angelo Russell and Carnathan Towns at the moment? Definitely. But when you look at for the future, probably not. Beasley right now, pretty much all he's really proven to be able to do is score the basketball. And obviously, what team doesn't want a guy scoring the basketball? The Timberwolves. We've Carl Anthony Towns, possibly the best offensive player in the entire league. We also have D'Angelo Russell, one of the most ball-dominant, best offensive players in the league. Anthony Edwards, who just takes every single shot in the world. Also, we have a lot of other players, such as Ricky Rubio, all on the offense. And Jalen Noel, who does everything on the offense. Jordan McLaughlin, all on the offense. Nas Reed, all on the offense. So personally, I feel like do we really need another offensive piece? Probably not. He is fairly young. He, Malik Beasley's only 24 years old and definitely has a lot of um, NBA career ahead of him. Just the only thing I feel like, just his contract is so massive. We have Russell for a very long time. Cat for a very long time. And every offseason, Andrew and I say, well, they got to sign some free agents. It seems not good. But the problem is, with those two guys locked down, and we just locked Beasley down for a while, we don't really have that kind of money to continue to sign big-name free agents. So obviously, when you can't sign the big guys, you get the rookies. Edwards. If he can play well for us, and he's not on a huge deal, that's going to work out great. Jalen Noel. We're not paying him anything, and he's doing great. Nas Reed. Same thing there. Josh Okoge. Same thing. Personally, I feel like we should focus on more of those guys, unless I'm Lake Beasley. But look at me. I've been talking for five minutes straight. Andrew, let's just talk about the Minnesota Timberwolves this year. We know our team is not doing that well, but do you think that our power forward throws are over with Jane McDaniels? Or, <laughs> I just don't know what we can do. Fine. I would not say our struggles are over by any means necessary. But, I do feel like for the short term, Jane McDaniels could have a really, really good season. By really good, I don't mean like 20 points per game or 10 rebounds or 3 blocks. But, I mean, maybe two steals and blocks per game, maybe eight points, maybe seven rebounds, which I know doesn't sound like much, but that is a lot for us. That would propel us into maybe the 25th, 26th best power forward, which actually doesn't sound great, but after listening to someone say that Timberwolves have the 33rd best power forward in the league, and remember there are only 30 teams, I feel like anything is better than that. So, I feel like that's good. Also, Jared Vanderbilt, even with Cat back and Wancho Hernan Gomez back, he has been playing great for us. I feel like those two are really going to pave the way for us at Power Forward. But, Ryan, let's move on to some gopher basketball, which I feel like for the last few weeks has been nothing but terrible. But, Ryan, luckily, this week, we went to 0-3. We were not good this week at all. And to make me honest worse, our sharp, supposed to be sharp shooter and defender, Gabe Kalsher will be out for close to the rest of the season with apparently a very severe foot injury, which obviously is annoying because he's basically one of our top players, but not playing like it. But he is one of our best defenders. And once we get down the switch, so many teams have really, really good scores, and we just have no chance at stopping them. Vine. Is there any way that the Gophers can get back on track this year and do well in the NCAA tournament? Or are we just 
in line for a first round out. There is a way, and his name is Jamal Mashburn. He's been playing great this season next to Marcus Carr. And you might say, uh, Ryan, you never man- mentioned this Jamal Mashburn guy, but he has been doing great recently. Mashburn has been playing great basketball this season. Last game, he out or last night against Illinois, where our team had one of our worst offensive performances of the year. He had a great game, actually outscoring Marcus Carr, who I keep on telling you is a dominant player. And also, Andrew, in our game before that against Indiana, Mashburn put up 19 points. The exact same as Marcus Carr in our game before that against Maryland. Marcus Carr... Nine points, which is obviously absolutely terrible, but Jamal Mashburn, 14 points. Andrew, this guy looks like he could be doing great. Do you think that Jamal Mashburn and Marcus Carr could lead us to maybe a first-round win in the NCAA tournament? If Jamal is anything like his father, then we are in for a very, very good season. For those of you who don't know, his father played on the Timberwolves and I believe the Charlotte Hornets in the NBA and was and the Pelicans, most known for that. And he was very, very good. And I also can't remember, forget that we have Eric Curry. That is not related to any of the Currys, Stephen Dell or um, or Seth Curry. But hopefully he can shoot like one. But right, before we move on to one of your great stories, I completely forgot this in the NBA. We have to talk about quickly the NBA draft. Now, Ryan, you may not know, but the G League has started with its new players program. Not really part of a team in general, but... Ryan, I don't even know who this is, but I've heard that um, Jalen Suggs and Kate Cunningham are really, really cementing their names in that one and two spots. Ryan, anyone come to mind that should overtake them for those one and two spots? Yeah, it's definitely a close race, but maybe Luca Garza or Evan Mobley. Both are incredible forwards that their schools would definitely be in the NCAA tournament, and obviously that's where the most recognition comes. So I bet definitely think for Iowa, they if they win the Big Ten tournament, Luke Garza has a great chance to be one of the top picks, as obviously the Big Ten tournament will be covered like crazy and looked at by tons of NBA scouts. And also, I also believe that the NCAA tournament, as it always is, will be covered by tons of scouts, and Iowa will clearly go very deep into that. And so, will I forgot if Evan Mobley goes to Arizona. No, Andrew's telling me he goes to USC, which I definitely think they will have a decent team, which I remember they have someone else very, very good. We'll definitely have to see how that goes. But, Andrew, now let's move on to a little bit of the NFL draft. Andrew, the two picks that we will be bringing down today is from the New York Giants with the 11th overall pick and the San Francisco 49ers with the 12th overall pick. Can you just tell me about a couple of words about who you think the New York Giants should draft and why? Yeah, Vine, in my opinion... You have to take the top offensive linemen available. Last year, we obviously know that they did not have Saquon Barkley, and they did have backup Wayne Gallman. And, to say the least, he did have a decent season. But, I just feel like, if you have an offensive line, and you look at those first two games where Saquon got injured, he just could not run behind that offensive line. Surprisingly, his backup could better. But, I just feel like when they played the Steelers and then the Broncos, there was just no way that Saquon could do anything with that terrible offensive line. So, I feel like if Penny Sewell is open, which he has been dropping, but probably not this far, you have to take Rashawn Slater, offensive lineman out of Northwestern. A lot of people really, really like him. If not, personally, I would love to see them end up with either Caleb Fayler or Patrick Sertain, two phenomenal corners who would join James Bradbury as one of the... Uh, no, James Bradbury as two of the top cornerbacks in the entire league. 
Vine, tell me who the 49ers can take on this team that is actually getting a lot of good players back from injury. Yeah, Andrews, you said this season they were terrible. And I feel like personally for the 49ers, this is great for them. This year, they will get back tons of amazing players. And really, I mean, on their defense, they might have one of the best defenses in the entire league. Sure, their defensive backs could use a little bit of work. And maybe if Patrick Sertain falls or Caleb Fraley falls, maybe you scoop one of them up. But personally, I think everyone in who's a hardcore football fan knows what I'm about to say. They need to take a wide receiver. This team has one of the worst quarterbacks in the week in Jimmy Grappo. He is not accurate. He is not versatile. He is not a good runner. I hate him. He stinks. They will probably not replace him since he's still kind of young and might not be terrible in the long run. I'm sorry for ragging on Jimmy Grappo. He's just very bad. But I feel like their wide receiver room, sure, they've got great rookie Brandon Ayuk. And sure, they have great second-year player Debo Samuel. Or I'm saying that's what they were last year. But other than that... I mean, I remember that game against the Packers in, I believe, week 13, where one of their wide receivers tested positive, and Ayuk and Debo, and Debo was injured, and Ayuk was out, and they were down to uh, Richie James Jr. This guy's barely ever started a game in his NFL career, and he's definitely not good at playing football. And also, yes, a tight end. They do George Kittle and Jordan Reed, two incredible tight ends in our game, but I feel like a wide receiver, they're too thin in this team. That is definitely their Achilles heel. So yeah, I'm saying wide receiver, but if a cornerback's open, maybe I'll go with the, maybe they should go with the cornerback. Now for my story. This is about an NBA player who is one of the most extreme um, civil activists of any NBA player ever. His name is Craig Hodges. He was born in 1960 in Illinois. And for those who don't know, the civil rights movement was incredibly potent in the late 1960s. When Craig was a very young boy, he understood how badly black people were treated and knew that that was a terrible thing and understood the system needed to be fixed. He was a pretty solid basketball player, but he was very short, and he couldn't really get good shots up over taller players. And even though he was faster, he was much shorter, and he really struggled to succeed. But the only way he thought he could be very good was to shoot from very far away. The three-point line hadn't been invented but he would have loved it, as almost all of his shots were from farther than the three-point line where it is right now. He not only shot a ton of far shots, but made most. He was looked at as one of the top shooters wherever he went. In college, he went to Long Beach State College. They weren't very good. They weren't very good at basketball, and right now they only have one basketball player in the NBA, and he's not very good. Craig was pretty good, but not amazing, but good enough for some NBA teams to watch him, and he was drafted in eight sorry, nineteen eighty-two. He played for many different teams and struggled really with most of them in the NBA. But when the three-point contest was invented in 1986, Craig had found his purpose. He was easily the best three-point shooter in the league, and he and as I and he made the three-point contest every single year and won it three times. He also played for a lot of different teams. And as I said, he was a dominant three-point shooter, made the contest every single year. It was a thing, and he was in the NBA. And he won it, as I said, three different times. That is really, really impressive. He was a dominant three-point shooter and probably still is. But off the court, he was really working for um, civil rights for black people and knowing that things had to change. And he really tried to use his high platform as one of the most talented NBA players to really show how bad things were for black people and how much things really had to change. He played for the Bulls. Um, and won a couple of championships with Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, and Dennis Rodman. He was a decent player and won three three-point contests. 
And as you know, when sports teams win the championship, they go to the White House to have a private tour of it. And in 1992, when Craig won the championship with the Bulls, with Jordan and Pippen, they went to the White House. And for those who don't know, the president at that time was George H.W. Bush. Craig had always worked for social justice and tried to use his high platform to influence people's views on black people. He knew he would be within 10 yards of the most powerful person in the country and his desk where he would see everything. And Craig knew that he could change a lot if um, George H.W. Bush was told to. And Craig knew he could influence the president, but he would have to risk everything. In the middle of the tour, when they were pretty close to the West Wing's presidential office, Craig snuck away and put a strongly worded letter on the desk of President George H.W. Bush. This is completely true. He snuck into the Oval Offense and put the letter there. It was very nice. George H.W. Bush did end up reading the letter, and he thought it was pretty interesting. And he was really impressed that the brave of Craig Hodges was willing to risk his entire NBA career and tons of people hating him just to make a huge change. Sadly, after that, many teams became disinterested in Hodges because they thought he was too interested because he cared more about social justice than playing basketball, which is a beautiful thing, but many NBA teams didn't like that. Since then, Hodges has continued to take many steps towards social justice. He has called out the NBA many times and has also even criticized Michael Jordan, the GOAT, for not using his enormous platform to stick up for black people when they are discriminated against. Craig had a decent career, but cut it short in 1993 when he played one year in Italy and then decided to come back to the U.S. as a coach. He coached at Chicago State University, but after one of the two worst seasons in really any team's history ever of 8-51, and 51, he was fired. Since then, Craig has definitely worked a lot for, act for social justice and definitely spoke out against it a lot. And at home, he definitely had a lot of trouble with his wife, who is actually on the show of Basketball Wives, which I forgot what channel it's on. I think it might be VHS. And Craig's wife was definitely a, had a lot of drama around them. Sadly, Craig um, definitely did a lot of bad stuff to his wife, and she did a couple of times, which is obviously not okay at all. And they definitely got into a lot of arguments. One time, his wife actually tried to light him on fire and then denied it later, even though there was a lot of video evidence. It was a lot, and it probably, I shouldn't have talked about it. But Craig Hodges really risked and put everything online, his entire NBA career on the line, just to make a huge difference. And obviously, that is a great thing to do for you, your people, and your country. We remember Craig Hodges, who is still alive. I'm not sure why I said remembered, but that incredible thing he did. He is still alive today. He's fairly old. I believe he's in his 70s or 80s. But a great person, really worked for social justice, and really still is working, and hopefully will never stop working to help black people get rights. Now, Andrew, let's move on to the birthday of the day. It is another NBA player, one of the best of all time, who actually might have had a secret another profession. Yeah, Ryan, today the birthday is Julius Irving, who was a phenomenal small forward for primarily the New Jersey Nets, and the 76ers. Now, as I said, the New Jersey Nets, because when he played on them, they weren't in Brooklyn yet. Irving had a phenomenal career. It was extremely known for his monster dunks, jumping from even close to the free throw line, and maybe behind the legs, between, or in between the legs, behind the back, and for the monster dunk. And, not sure why, but he developed a nickname of The Doctor. No, no, I knew why. But seemed like Julius really liked the name. So, 
One time after a game, his coach went up to him and he said, Hey, Irving, you know, after maybe one of your monster dunks, you should say, Hey, you know, do you need a doctor? Because I am one? But I'm going to make things worse. Basically saying that Julius Irving was a doctor, but after he dunked on him, the guy was hurt, and he was a doctor, but he was hurting the guy more. Doesn't really make much sense whatsoever. Irving said basically a picture-perfect answer of, I'm going to let my dunks and my playing do the talking. Which is really what you should always do in sports. Really, sometimes a little trash talk is kind of good, but you know, it's really better to let your game do the talking. Now, remember that. But Ryan, what you keep on doing, I finally understood it. And that is tennis. To be honest, I really follow zero tennis. And I know about six people in the entire world that play tennis. But two of the people that I actually know just won huge tournaments. I believe it was the Australian Open, which basically means that any tennis player that's really decent can play. So it's really hard to win for the top tennis players. But in the final match, in the women. Naomi Osaka played against Serena Williams. No, that was the semifinals, Ryan is telling me. And Naomi Osaka won, advanced to the finals, and she won the Australian Open for the women. And Novak Djokovic, I might ask my favorite tennis player for the men. And he won it for the men in the Australian Open. I'm not sure what happened to Roger Federer or... Or Rafael Nadal, two of the other uh, male tennis players that I know. But it looks like Novak Djokovic won, so I guess I should be happy. Now, Ryan, that is the end of our podcast. But you have to remember, the MLB is coming up. The NBA, we will know who the All-Stars are and when we will know what teams they are. And we will be breaking down which guys should the captains pick. And another week of maybe more NFL news. And we will all have that and more next week on Twin Talk MN.